Hello, I'm Neil Moody, and welcome to this episode of In Bed with Neil Moody. I'm your host, Neil Moody. My guest on this episode is my dear friend, top fashion illustrator, Nuno da Costa. Nuno was born in London to Portuguese parents, and after initially studying modern languages and Hispanic and Latin American culture, he opted to leave uni to pursue his first love of art, choosing a career in fashion illustration. His love of fashion photography and collaborating with hair and makeup artists in the fashion industry has allowed him to create a singular style of illustration that he has now become famous for. Now residing in Portugal, he is the current official illustrator to Vogue Portugal and is one of a select number of illustrators invited to create a Vogue cover in recent history. Nuno and I connected through the wonderful world of Zoom video calls to record this episode. So let's go meet Nuno, where he tells me about his journey to becoming one of the world's most lauded fashion illustrators and how he is now even embracing digital technology into his future work. Hi Nuno, how are you? I'm really well, thank you, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. How's sunny Lisbon? Uh, Not so sunny at the moment, but uh, still Lisbon, I think. (laughs) We had sun here in London this morning. It was pretty good. It's not so sunny now, but... Oh, amazing. Amazing. I love London in the sun. I know. It is a good place to be, right, in the sun. Oh, definitely. Let's get going. I wanted to talk to you first about growing up, because you were born in London to Portuguese parents and I just want to know what was that like where in London did you grow up how was your childhood were your parents fluent in English how did they get to England how did they get to London etc etc oh gosh yeah I was born and raised in London in Wandsworth Common which is near Clapham Junction and as you said, my parents are Portuguese. They emigrated from uh, from Portugal in the 70s where there was a dictator in Portugal. So my parents left. They actually left separately and they met each other on the boat to England. So that was a little... <laughs> and love on the yeah, boat. It was, it was, yeah, it really was a love boat, right? <laughs> they didn't really speak English at all. They just learned they're fluent, well... My mum's fluent in, in English now. My dad passed away a while ago. But, um, yeah, so they learnt English while in England. So before, when you used to emigrate to, to the UK, you, you were given a job, basically. So they worked in the NHS in hospitals. And then they had you? And then, yeah, then, well, then they had my brother, who's three years older. And then they had me, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Wands of Common. And it's a really lovely area to grow up in. It's quite quiet. I went to little little Catholic primary school. So it was a beautiful, beautiful childhood, actually. Nice place to grow up. Did they speak Portuguese to you? Did you learn Portuguese when you were young? Yeah, definitely. Which is something I'm sure lots of immigrant kids can relate to. Like when you were out at school or in town or whatever, you, you would have like this kind of English identity. But as soon as you got home, <laughs> my dad would actually say like the state owns you while you're at school. But when you were at home with me, you're mine. So we were, right. kind, of, um, <laughs> we were kind of taught to speak Portuguese from, from birth, really, um, because they, cause we used to travel back for holidays, kind of right. summer holidays every year and for Easter and things. And my parents really wanted us to assimilate and to be able to communicate with family while we were here. So, mm-hmm. which I'm really thankful for. It's really quite special to be able to have your foot in both worlds and to be able to yeah. get the yeah. best out of both identities. I was always jealous of people learning. Jealous is the wrong word. I was envious of people that learned languages when they were young. 
because I yeah. think when you're a child, you absorb the information a lot easier because your brain isn't already clouded with stuff, isn't it? So you just sh- you're more like a sponge when you're young. You just absorb what's given to you. With languages, once you've learned one, kind of the next language becomes a lot easier to understand. So if you mm. have like Portuguese, it's kind of a nice springboard and platform to learn like Spanish and Italian and other other Latin languages. So it's yeah. It kind of really is a, a passport to to other worlds and other cultures, which you know. So were you quite studious as a kid? Not not particularly. I, I remember my parents coming home from parents' evening, and I asked them how it went. And my mum said that the teachers had basically said like, "Oh, he'll never do well academically, but at least he can draw." <laughs> <laughs> that was handy, considering what you do now. <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite crazy, but I think in a weird way, I believed it and I kind of internalised that messaging. So I never really considered myself really good at academics. Uh, and then it yeah. turned out that I actually was. Uh, so I ended up right. getting really good like GCSE and A-level results, which kind of shocked everyone, including myself. I had the same thing. I mean, I was told that I couldn't concentrate enough to do something academic. You know, I wanted to be a journalist when I was at school, but wow. I was discouraged from it. It annoys me now when I look back that they didn't encourage it because it's like, you know, at seven, eight, nine years old, how can they decide what you're going to be good at? It's you true. Know? I always said, uh, maybe if they taught me something more interesting, I'd probably be more interested you know? <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah. And and kind of like I really flourished once I got into sixth form as well because, you know, like subjects like maths and doing double physics on a Monday morning and all that stuff I hated. And it was purely yeah. because I didn't enjoy the subject matter. And, and I suppose mm. in that sense, I wasn't academic. But at the, yeah. at, you know, once I, was, I had the opportunity to choose my own courses that I actually wanted to study, I, I like really really flourished mm. and by the time I'd finished my A-levels I still had that internal dialogue saying that I wasn't academic and so I hadn't applied to, to go to university at all and I wasn't really mm. sure what I wanted to do and then I ended up getting like two A's and a B for A-levels. What did you do as A-level? So I did Portuguese which had included like Portuguese literature so it's kind of like Shakespearean Portuguese and, and things like that which was quite interesting. I'd studied Spanish, I studied media and I studied art for A-level as well, which mm. was kind of like my passion. But then, and then I actually ended up, my tutors were like, oh, you know, you did really well. You should really apply. You could get into a really good university. So I ended up applying to King's over the summer in August. And then they let me in to start in the September. And I got in and I absolutely hated it. And it was like such a terrible mistake to, <laughs> to go and do that course. It was kind of, um, I'd, I'd applied to do a Latin American and Hispanic cultural studies and Portuguese as well and I was kind of with a view to becoming a translator but then I got on the course and I just absolutely just uh, yeah it just wasn't for me and and kind of everything was telling me that I'd made the wrong the wrong choice even my body was kind of I started losing my hair because of the stress I started uh being like I went through a depression while I was there and I thought wow this really isn't for me (laughs) so I ended up leaving and that was my academic career so maybe the teachers were right (laughs) (laughs) I mean I know so many people that went to university but then ended up not continuing the subjects that they studied as soon as they either left or dropped out they went and did something completely different again I think it's that thing where it's it's so hard to make decisions at that age as to what you're going to do for the rest of your life oh 100% we evolve and we change and our brains 
You know, and you can get exposed to things that you suddenly go, actually, that's what I want to do, not that. I want to do this instead. For sure. You know? A friend of mine studied psychology but became a photographer. Wow. He always used to overanalyze everything because he'd studied psychology. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I was going to say there must be some benefit to, to studying psychology and human nature when you're, well, unless you're photographing still lives or things, but if, you're, if your subject matter is, is humans, I suppose there could be some benefit yeah. to it as well. But then I suppose the over-analyzing thing must be such a handicap, right? So you dropped out from King's? I did, yeah. When you switched, what did you do from there? Well, I just took a couple of months and put together a portfolio some paintings like gouache paintings and they were all fashion related and then I started contacting magazines in London and arranged go-sees and, and took my portfolio around and I don't know art school I thought was wonderful but just I knew it wasn't for me either I was always the one in school that could draw uh, I was always the one in class that was known as you know the artist who could draw that was a special thing about myself and then to go to art school and to be surrounded by like 900 or a thousand other people who had the exact same skill as me I think that would have been like mm. a real handicap to my confidence looking back because um, I, I, even though I always knew I, I could draw there was always a kind of underlying uh, self-confidence issue I think. So did you actually study illustration or did you just decide that was something you're interested in and went off on that tangent? Your own accord? No, I'd never, I'd never studied uh, illustrations. So I had done my A-level art, but that was quite a broad course, so had, that covered like a lot of different aspects of art. Um, so yeah, not illustration specifically. I just always used to draw women in particular, and, and s like supermodels in particular. I would obsessively recreate images of like Linda Evangelista and Christy Turlington and Karen Mulder, like all, every supermodel you could think of I would. I would just like recreate photos of them uh, in pencil. That was kind of like my training, I suppose. But I remember my teacher saying to me, you're never ever gonna find a job where you can just draw women. You have to like draw other things as well, like cars and, and what have you. Right. And I was like, no, that's not for me. <laughs> I, I was always kind of really fascinated by, by women and, and their beauty and their power and like all the aspects of femininity. I, I found it super inspiring and then I got really turned on to painters like Alphonse Mucha and Gustav Klimt and Egon Schiele and they all depict women. They're all women in control and I really quite like that power that, that they represented. Because of that though, because obviously knowing you, I know that you love fashion and that you love fashion photography and the models and all that kind of stuff. I know you have a big passion for that. And you also have a huge magazine archive. Did you not think about doing fashion design? Did that ever enter your head? Well, yeah, when I was super young, well, super young, when I was like 12, I, I used to like draw my own designs and then I found out that I'd, I'd actually have to make them myself <laughs> too. And, I, <laughs> and that was just a massive turn off, like the thought of actually like creating my own garments. I loved creating the concept of it and the the visual of it. You didn't want to transfer what was on the page into a garment, basically. For sure, yeah. And I suppose an element of that is just that, God, like, would the actual garment ever live up to the the concept on the page, the sketch on the page? And I, I just didn't think I had that skill yeah. to, to kind of bring that 2D thing, in, uh, that 2D image into a 3D object. I, I just didn't think I... That wasn't my strength, really, so...
Well, here's a question for you. Yes. When did you realise that you were good at it? What was the point where you went, I'm actually not bad at doing this? It's bizarre. I had confidence to call up magazines and take my portfolio and show them. And I, I felt confident showing them. So I suppose... And what was the reaction? What reaction did you get? I had a really positive reaction. Funny, the feedback I used to get was how special my faces were. So that, that was always a kind of running theme in, in the feedback. I'd, I'd kind of heard that yeah. quite f like from the first go see that I had done. I mean, I have to say, you know, it's fucking hard to draw a good face. I, mean, <laughs> I, I can draw a face in profile, but don't ask me to draw somebody's face on. I just don't know how you do it. I don't know how you get the proportions, the shading. And I've, trust me, I've tried on wow. quite a few occasions. And I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm better doing profiles. Oh, well. <laughs> I love that. If I ever get stuck on profiles, I'll be calling you to give me a hand. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say was your first big break? Yeah, that, that was British Vogue. Been introduced to somebody at Condé Nast, uh, Tim Rennie. And I'd arranged to go and meet him, and who's another lovely guy. My, my, I've been so fortunate that my trajectory is just... You know, I've met so many lovely, supportive people along the way, and he he was one of them. And and I'd arranged to go and meet him for the first time. And by the time I got off the tube, I received a voicemail. Like my my phone pinged, and, and there was a voicemail saying, "Oh, like if you're interested, British Vogue would like to book you for a job." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, like when you've wanted something for so long, and there's like this weird moment where your dreams and reality come into contact with each other, and it's just such a bizarre space to be in quite a pinch me moment isn't it it's that real you're almost a bit like oh god is is it me is that me that yeah it's just such a hard thing to get your head around and you know like the fashion world is actually quite intimidating when you're on the outside and you want to break into it it's just it seems like such an insurmountable mm. obstacle to to get across by the time we met had you done british vogue then no i don't think i had I'd kind of achieved relative success straight off the bat, right? Because I'd arranged the go scene, I started working with more magazine, and then I started working with other magazines, and it was kind of pretty non-stop, and I, I, I had achieved a level of, of success, you could say, uh, like modest success, but yeah. I, I was successful. I was a working mm. artist and, and what have you. But I'd kind of discovered quite early on that fashion illustration work is actually, there isn't actually that much of it. Uh, unless you're at mm. a certain level, you know. Even though I'd started off doing fashion illustration, I had ended up doing a lot of other il illustration uh, after that because the fashion jobs were so few and far between. But I'd kind of fallen out of love with illustration to a certain ex extent because I wasn't drawing what I was really passionate about, which was like fashion and beauty and, and kind of the things that mm. I recognise for now. I, I wasn't really doing that. And then my, my father had fallen ill. He, he was fine and then he went away on holidays and my mum called me to tell me there'd been an incident with him in the car. He'd, he'd kind of, not to get too depressing, but he'd, he'd driven her and him into oncoming traffic. And so he was diagnosed as uh, having a brain tumour and being terminally ill from like one day to mm. the next. And it was just such a massive wake up call that life is so short, you know, and if I really do want to be an illustrator, I really have to go for it. And we were kind of caring mm. for him at home, which was like really difficult. And I was kind of illustrating during the day and I had a bar job in, in the evenings to kind of supplement mm. my income. So that was like a really difficult time for me. My escape was to go out with my friends when I could. 
your respite from that yeah for sure yeah so i i I probably threw a little bit too much energy into the escapism of being with my friends and clubbing which kind of had a negative Mm. impact on my on my work so kind of those jobs i had fallen out of love with started to fall away so when you and i had met randomly i feel like that was the rebirth of of my career yeah and what we ended up doing was quite random how we met actually, wasn't it? Cause it was through a mutual friend. And actually, yes. if I remember rightly, we were in a club. <laughs> <laughs> and, we were in a club, we, yeah. Yeah, and we got introduced. On of, yes, it was on the, one of those nights when I was escaping. <laughs> yeah, we were having a little dance and a bit of a chat. And I remember saying to you, what do you do then? <laughs> and you went, yeah. I'm an illustrator. And I remember being like, oh, I love illustration. And that we just started chatting about illustration didn't we on the dance floor weirdly enough and then i remember we were like we went and got a drink with it there was a group of us wasn't there? we went and got a drink and then you and i just sort of chatted about illustration a lot and i said to him listen i'm and i said to you i'm really interested in illustration and i've got this new job as a beauty editor at a magazine called wonderland with my friend lisa butler and we're looking for new ideas and i said you know would you be interested in doing something with us and you were like, yeah, why not? And then, that was it really, wasn't it? And then we sort of, you know, we became friends, we exchanged numbers. And then the next thing we knew, we were doing, sort of working on this project together, which was kind of a mad project when I think back about what we did. But It's just so, like, r- random. And, I, I, you know, I've thought about it often and I really think we crossed for a reason because I can't explain how I was just at such a crossroads at that point when we did meet. Is it, is it, it kind called of, serendipity, I believe? It, 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 it is serendipity, yeah. And it was just such, mm. you know, it, it was just so random. I remember, like, random. Do you remember what I asked you when we met? No. And <laughs> um, I had asked you, like, have you ever worked with Natalie Portman? Do you remember that conversation? Y- vaguely, yeah, remind me. And I was like, have you ever worked with Natalie Portman? And you were like, who have you been talking to? <laughs> and I was like, nobody. <laughs> And, like, and you were like, no, seriously, who have you been talking to? And I was like, nobody, I swear. And I just had like <laughs> such a massive crush on Natalie Portman at the time. I thought she was like the most beautiful <laughs> girl in the world. And then it turns out that you had, I think you'd literally got back that morning from shooting her for the cover of British Vogue. Yes, that's right. Yes. With, with Corinne Day. Uh, and you had yeah. gone to Berlin to shoot her before she shaved her head off. <laughs> yeah, uh, not her right. head, her hair off. <laughs> Uh, yeah, shaved head. And it was just so random that I'd asked you that particular question at that time. And then we just, it was just non-stop chatter. And then, do you remember the, the day, I think we met the day after, or the Sunday, I can't remember. I think it was the day after we met for, for lunch and you said, bring your portfolio. Mm. And I was just so glad that I had showed you my portfolio first. <laughs> because <laughs> then you whacked out your, like, uh, <laughs> your portfolio, which was about six inches thick. And it, was just, <laughs> and it was just like wall-to-wall like Vogue covers and shoots with Mario Testino and, and Patrick de Marchelier and, and for, the, for every magazine you could ever imagine. And I thought, oh my God, if I'd seen this portfolio first, I, just, I would have just run You'd never have got out yours door. out. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah, it was so funny. Yeah, that was the start of a kind of a beautiful friendship. And uh, yeah, yeah. And, then, and that job, and that, jo- that crazy job that we did. Mm. which was amazing yeah. that was kind of like you could not have picked a better job for me to do at that time where i was in my life mm. 
it was just everything that I wanted to do and that I imagined that I would be doing in my dream world, in my dream uh, career. Yeah, and for for those that are listening, I'll quickly, let's briefly explain what we did. So we did a beauty um, story for Wonderland and basically what we did was was that you worked alongside Lisa Butler and created the faces and the makeup. Yes. And then that was illustrated. And then I got them uh, printed out and then I added the hair on top of the illustration. So instead of actually drawing the hair, it was real hair. And we created, I created shapes with them and to go with the faces. And then they were photographed... Yeah. So they almost they went from two D to three D back to two D. Two D. Yeah. And yeah. then they were photographed. So there was like this quite sort of slightly weird thing going on where you're like, how come the hair in the picture is actually not two dimensional? It's a lot more three dimensional. And yeah, yeah, and we created. I think it was four images, wasn't it? And yeah. I remember being Lisa and I were so excited about that project because we were like no one's really done this before. You know what I mean? And for us at Wonderland at the time, we were so into trying to do things on a beauty level that were really sort of left field and not your regular, oh, it's a lovely lip and it's a lovely eye and it's a, you know, and it's a Chanel foundation. We were like really trying to push the boundaries with the beauty that we created in Wonderland to the point where it almost wasn't beauty. It was kind of art. It was, we were just being artsy with it. You know what I mean? And it was a great, it was a great project to work on because also we didn't have anybody telling us what we could and couldn't do. I remember the images were so big that we got them framed, didn't we? And they were massive. They were actually really kind of almost like the heads were life size. Yeah, for sure. I I have her in my studio. I can see her from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Well, I've got my one. Mine's in storage at the moment because I haven't got enough room to hang it where I'm living, but it's, I planned for it to come out quite soon. I've got the, I think I've got the biggest one, haven't I, where it was, the face was sort of a bit Kate Moss-esque. Yeah. I added all this, loads and loads of long blonde hair to her. Oh, that's Um, beautiful. Yeah, and it just became huge. And then from there, we just sort of, like you say, created a friendship between us because I think, like you say, for you, that time was very... It was quite a poignant thing for you, wasn't it? Because it was almost like we gave you quite free reign to, but using mine and Lisa's skills to help develop what you were doing. You know, for sure. There, there was a. I've said it so often, but there was um, kind of. There's a real. You can really see my work pre Neil Moody and Lisa Butler and post Neil Moody and, and Lisa Butler. There's a definite, yeah. definite. There's a definite change there. Yeah, for sure. I felt like I, yeah. I had I'd, I'd just made such a, a quantum leap in wh- how I approach things, and it was yeah. I, I don't know if it's about working with people of your yours and Lisa's caliber, which makes you kind of rise to the occasion when you're mm. kind of a novice or a trainee. Um, which I suppose, mm. well, you either rise to the occasion or you <laughs> or you don't. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I suppose you guys just pulled the pulled the best out of me and I felt like I'd, I'd, I learned so much from, from that experience and, and there was kind of a marked change in, in what I was doing after that um, creatively. You guys are, are just so particular in the best possible way about how things mm. look. Like every line matters and every everything has a purpose mm. and, and a reason for being and, and it's, it's... You know, I suppose in a way we 
introduced you to what it would be like being on a photo shoot and the things that we're looking out for when we're creating, whether it's fashion or beauty imagery, isn't it? And for sure. Would you would you say it gave you an insight into that because you worked with us as hair and makeup people that are from the fashion industry? Oh, 100%. So we suddenly, it gave you almost like a different eye to use. Yeah, you know? for, for sure. And there's, you know, like being an illustrator is so solitary. It's, it's kind of like I work yeah. in my studio at home. You know, I love doing that. But it's, it's kind of only when you work with other people that you realise the benefit of, of a team and, and, and kind of how you, you kind of lift each other up and you egg each other on to go even further and you push boundaries mm. that you wouldn't necessarily do when, you're, when you work alone. And kind of I, I spent a lot of time with you and doing the hair and Lisa as well doing the makeup and, and kind of I'd always had a fascination for beauty and for makeup. It was, it was just such a thing. I used to kind of pinch my mum's makeup and draw with it <laughs> and put it on my, <laughs> and put it on my on my drawings I don't know like fashion beauty is it's just a, it's a different world isn't it and it's mm. I kind of felt a little bit intimidated by by it about doing it wrong and kind of spending time with Lisa kind of really just blew those doors off and and she kind of really taught me I just remember her saying to me you know like you've got to treat makeup as if it's your paints and it's kind of they're just colors at the end of the day and 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 just that one little mm -hmm. sentence just mm -hmm. kind of took the brakes off me and let me go a little bit well I think you know Lisa is a makeup artist a lot of people have always said that she's very quite painterly and artistic in how she approaches makeup it's not so formulaic yeah and it's probably great for you to actually have worked with somebody like that who has such a free hand and eye in how they work yeah for know? oh for sure yeah i remember being in the studio with her and, and she was doing this model and kind of i remember she got out this kind of grayish silvery i think it must have mm. been like eyeshadow or something and my first initial reaction was oh, like i wouldn't do that in a drawing because it would make her look dirty and lisa said to me oh like no this makes it look a little bit spacey and a little bit futuristic and it's just those little nuggets of information and those little gems that you hear and it makes you just, it just transforms the way you, you look at makeup mm. and, and what it does to, to a person. Yeah. So they, after doing that, I mean, hopefully I'd like to think that that reinstalled your passion for doing illustration again. Where did you, where did it go from there? Because obviously, like you said, this gave you a new approach to illustration. So what happened after that? Right off the back of that, I ended up getting signed with a illustration agency. Uh, it was kind of another like random event. I, I, I ended up being friends with uh, Leslie Vickwardell, um, who's a um, jewellery designer, or she was a jewellery designer, she is no more. And she had invited me to go to, she was doing something for Shirovsky at the time and she said oh come along there's an event and you can come and you can sketch like the jewelry that I created and what have you and so I went and I drew that uh, and then I left it there and I, I, I went home because ha I'd had to go somewhere and then uh, another jewelry designer was there and he said that his wife was a, a, a big illustration agent and and then they ended up booking me so I'd I ended up getting signed to an agency. Okay, so you joined the agent, and I'm assuming from that point on, your fashion illustration work then really started to take off, no? Yes, <laughs> but really, like, my beauty work really took off. Yeah, I started working for Clinique, for Max Factor, for, for like, lots of amazing brands, for MAC. 
yeah, just doing lots and lots of beauty work, uh, which led to a portfolio full of faces. And, and I remember having a chit chat with my agent. He was like, oh, you know, if you're going to be a fashion illustrator, you're going to have to have some fashion in your portfolio. Because like literally I, it was like years worth of, of beauty work. But I'm really super passionate about fashion. I kind of reconnected with my love of that and started recreating another fashion portfolio. Yeah. And it was, and you're totally right. It was after our Wonderland job that I booked the British Vogue job. Cut to, obviously, you now live in Portugal, in Lisbon. Before then, you went to Spain, didn't you, with your partner, because he's Spanish. And... I wanted to know just how did that happen that you decided to leave London Gosh. when you'd started your career here and it was now starting to form into something that you were much more interested in and like you say you'd refound your passion for what you really wanted to do in illustration. Why the sudden move? I was kind of like really happy in London and kind of settled into my career and, and was having success doing the kind of work that I really loved. And But my partner was on the total opposite <laughs> uh, side of the spectrum to where he was. Uh, he was a hairstylist and as well, and he, he was really good at it and he loved it. He was super creative, but he was just totally burnt out. And he, he worked in a salon and, and he was like pretty intense and he was having like health issues because of it. He was having bad back and what have you. And I just remember him coming home one day and he's like, I can't do that commute anymore. The last draw was he was on the tube in London and, and he got off the tube to let somebody else off who was behind him. And then he stepped back on the tube and, and this woman pushed him off. <laughs> she, she pushed him over the edge, basically. <laughs> she, she literally pushed him over the edge. He just came home and he, he said, oh, you know, I also deserve to have a career that I love. And, and that was that, you know. And I remember, I remember you saying to me, actually, the thing is, Neil, as an illustrator, I don't need to be in a, in a specific city or, you know, I can, you can be wherever you want. Cause like you said, mentioned earlier, it's quite a solitary profession. So you just need a studio where you can work from, really, can't you? And you sort of, a lot of it then is done remotely. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm like really fortunate that as long as you've got internet connection and you can, you know, you can communicate with people and you can send your work over the internet or if it's physical, you can yeah. send it by, by DHL or what have you. Um, well, I'm saying that you're out of it though. You're now the, what's your official title at Vogue Portugal? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like the house illustrator for Vogue Portugal. I'm the house illustrator. illustrator. Which is amazing, like an amazing team and lovely people to work with. But it's great because you've kept that Vogue connection that you've always aspired to, but you've now become the actual, you know, like you say, house illustrator for them. You know, I remember I remember when you let me know and you were so excited. It was so lovely to hear that you were like, I've been made house illustrator for Vogue Portugal. And, I, and of course, I was excited. <laughs> I was excited for you because it was such a, you know, it's such a great achievement. Because as we've said, you know, with, with an illustrator, especially... For Vogue, it's not like illustrations feature regularly in those magazines. They do appear every now and again. And randomly then, you know, you were then asked to do a set of images that one of them became a cover, which is probably one of the first illustrated Vogue covers for quite a long time. Yeah, it was was the first illustrated Vogue cover in a decade. And the previous Mm. one was by David Downton, who was always like a a hero of mine uh, in the illustration world. He's godfather of of fashion illustration and, Mm. you know, 
So, which is, to, I mean, that's such an achievement, you know, it's so amazing, you know, and, and I even feel privileged, even though, funny enough, that particular image didn't have any hair in it. It was part of a series of images that you asked me to help create the hair on for, which again showed to me that you can do your thing remotely and you can be anywhere because I actually created the hair here in London. You created the illustrations in Lisbon and we somehow merged the two together without yeah. ever actually meeting in person. And we did a lot by FaceTime and video and stuff like that. And it was, it, what was great for me with that was that it showed a new way of working for me, which excited me. It was quite a, an exciting time for me because I was a bit like, you know, I've been doing hair for a long time. So to suddenly work in a different medium was so great. And then when you got the cover, you know, I don't, I don't feel I actually really contributed to that because there was it was actually a big hat on her head for the cover. It was just nice to know that I was part of that in a way, you know, as your friend. You know, I remember you saying to me, oh, God, do you mind there's no hair in this picture? And I was like, absolutely not. I, you know, if, it, if the hat works, it's great. But then they gave me the cover to be the first cover in 10 years on any Vogue by an illustrator. It's pretty good going, I'd say. <laughs> and that's, that's really, that was another pinch me moment because, you know, you grow up like wanting to work for these amazing publications and, and you know to work for Vogue is you know it's just a massive seal of approval it's, it's a massive it's the pinnacle isn't it it's the pinnacle of fashion really it, yeah it really is and and like if you dare yourself to dream would be to do a Vogue cover after we had created the story and and you know mm. that that particular image was chosen out of all of the contents in the magazine so it it has like an extra special meaning and that the fact that we did it together you say you didn't participate in that image but you definitely did like the whole thing was was a symbiotic going backwards and forwards between both of us talking about what we wanted the images to look like and it's just such a magical journey because you you know you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up you just know you're going to end up somewhere good <laughs> well do you know what i think is interesting for the both of us is that it helped me understand illustration better and then for you, it helped you understand hair better. You know for what I sure. mean? Because I was kind of, I remember we were having conversations and I would say to you, oh, if it was at that angle, it would be, it would look more like this. And yeah. then you'd have to then recreate it from a slightly different angle, which is why we ended up working with video, wasn't it? Because I would video yeah. what I created from a complete 360 on the yes. video. So you could see it at every angle. But it helped me understand what was possible with illustration as well in terms of texture and how to create, you know, sort of like type four Afro hair because, yeah. you know, or create very tight curls, which I know you hate when I say to you, we're going to do curls because it's <laughs> so much more work. And I always think, oh, no, he's going to hate me for this. But I love the fact that we both push ourselves to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. It's, it's a great process. And we've been very lucky that because the magazine loved what we did, they've invited us to do it again a couple more times. So, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a lovely process and it's and it's great that you're now their, you know, house illustrator, basically, because they get you to do a lot of work. But I want to talk about the fact you've also been appointed a brand ambassador for, uh, is it FIDA, FIDA, Fashion Illustration Drawing Awards? I call it FIDA. <laughs> FIDA. Yeah. Um, what does what does that what does that entail as an ambassador? 
I suppose it just entails me being me, which is kind of not, <laughs> which is kind of nice to just be myself, to do my thing, to, to show illustration in the best possible light, which is something that I always strive mm. to do anyway. And well, I think you know these days, I think you could definitely say that you are now up there with the best fashion illustrators that have ever existed. You know, especially like the people that you've aspired to or admired. You know, I think your work now is on a level with them. And I think, you know, as an illustrator, I don't know the illustration world that well, but I do know that people hold you in very high regard now in terms of what you do as a fashion illustrator, which is amazing. I know that you and I have been working on a project recently with which involved a bit of AR, augmented reality, yeah. where you've brought in somebody that does moving 3D image and yes. started to get them to work on your illustrations, and which I find really, really fascinating. And I think there's a lot of scope in there for it to develop. But where do you see it going? It's because I know that's something you're very interested in. It's almost like you're turning your illustrations into something a little bit even more hyper-real than what they already are. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's kind of something I'm I'm just getting turned on to. But yeah, I think augmented reality and it's definitely something I want to explore more. The thing I, I really love is mixing the traditional, which I do with paints and inks and pencils with technology. Uh, so I'm going to be exploring that in the future. Uh, I'm not really quite sure how or where that's going to take me, but I've, I don't think I've ever really known how or where anything that I've done is going to take me. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just a bit of a leap of faith. It reminds me a lot of, I mean, you know, because obviously when I started working in the fashion industry, it was all just about still photography, fashion mm. photography. Yeah. And then I remember when they started to introduce bringing in film people and they were going to start turning it into moving image. And yes. at first we were a little bit reluctant about it because we were like, well, we're about the stills and, you know, it's about <laughs> the image on a, on a page and... I remember, I, I remember being very kind of like, well, I didn't sign up for this, you know. <laughs> for sure. And I wasn't the only person to say that, but I think it was because for us it felt like it was a bit of an intrusion into our world. Hmm. But then I think people, once you, once everybody realised the development of the internet, social media, all that kind of stuff, and the fact that moving image was becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and was what was appealing to people in general to take something from one medium to another you know that it, i mean now I, you don't go on we don't go on a sh any kind of shoot without a film crew there and they I film the whole thing you know yeah. and, and i remember actually working on a spanish vogue cover with Gigi hadid and it was the first time i'd seen a vogue cover that i'd done with somebody that went from being a still to actually being a moving vogue cover and i loved it i was so like Wow, because it was it was the same image as the cover that we shot, but they basically stepped in with the film camera, and I remember I started to blow the hair with the wind machine, and they filmed it, and then they po put it onto on the cover, the frame of a Vogue cover, and I remember being like, "Wow, this is amazing!" It's her stood there, but she's moving, and yeah. That was a big moment for me to go, actually, they're not intruding in our space. This is where we've actually all got to learn to work together because you can actually create some quite magical moments that obviously are never going to work on a page in a magazine, but they will work online. They will work in social media. 
it, anywhere where you can put some a moving image, it's going to work. And it's a bit the same with this, really, isn't it? But obviously, for fashion illustration, it's a different thing because it's not film. It's it's got to be done through all reality. Yeah, well, and, and and with an animator that works in film, basically. Well, listen, we're done in terms of talking about your career because we've got to where we've got to the present day and a little bit of the possible future. So I'm going to move on now onto the quick fire questions for a bit of fun, um, just to finish off our conversation. So I'm just going to go, so you can answer with one word, sentence, divulge further if you wish, it's up to you. So let's get going. What's your guilty pleasure? Probably fruit and nut chocolate bars. I've I've become addicted to them. Cadbury's or another brand? Yes, Cadbury. Well, yeah, we don't have that here. Uh, or I've not found them. Uh, so I've been having another brand here from a, a, a Portuguese supermarket. But yeah, but I love the Cadbury's ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's your favourite animal? Dog. Okay. Uh, you are I've a got do- three of them. Yeah. <laughs> I've got three dogs, yeah. Who or what makes you laugh? Neil Moody. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say that just because I'm on the other, <laughs> other end of the line. <laughs> what was the last film you watched? Dune. Did you like really it? Really good. Yeah, I loved it, yeah. It felt, it felt like there was a lot more to be told, but I, uh, yeah, I really loved it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What's your best asset or personality trait? Uh, that I'm kind. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I try and be kind to people. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so on the opposite end of the spectrum, what's your worst asset or personality trait? Like it's a bit of a Libra cliche, but I can be a bit indecisive. I wouldn't right. say that I'm in... Indi- no, that's the wrong word. Like, I analyse everything from every possible angle before I, I, I make a decision. What's your favourite fashion designer of all time? Oh, my God. Yeah, I love John Galliano's work. Mm. I, I love Gianni Versace for other reasons because he, he, he created goddesses on, on the runway and in the real world, you know, so many designers that I've, I, I've Alexander McQueen, yeah. <gasps> amazing, such a dream, like everything he did was, yeah, yeah. What chore do you hate doing the most? Oh, pa- paper, oh, chore, paperwork isn't chore, is it? Probably no, cleaning yes. the... Oh, is it? Yeah, paperwork. I, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, it is a bloody chore. Yeah, yeah. Either that or yeah. cleaning the toilet. <laughs> what was the last time you cried? I was probably watching some Facebook video about a, a disabled dog or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Those things get me. Things like that. Anything to do with like animal, animal yeah. cruelty or anything like that, like makes me not not a happy yeah. boy. Yeah. God, I, I cry anything these days. I'm so emotional in terms of, like, weepy things. It's awful. Well, listen, Nuno, that's it. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with oh, not only me, but, but also everybody that's listening as well. I'm sure, you know, people that are listening and actually are very interested in illustration will find it your journey very fascinating and your career so far but also, you know, keep an eye out for what Nuno's going to be up to because I think there's some very exciting projects coming up, I believe. Can you yes. just remind everybody what your social media is so they, they want to follow you? Oh, my God. I'm not even sure I know. So on Instagram, I think I am Nuno underscore the underscore Costa underscore illustration. Uh, so you can find And that, that. is... 
Dat as in D-A, not D-E, right? Yeah, Dat as in D-A. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's my family name. Uh, yeah, so that's where I kind of post my most recent uh, things and where I interact most with people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely way to communicate with folks. So yeah, that's probably so where you'll find me the most. Yeah. And what about a website if people want to have a look? Yeah, www.nunodacosta.com. So that's N U N O D A C O S T A dot com. Cool. Nice and, and simple. Some, yeah, and if someone wants to book you for something, where do they go for that? They can book me via my email <laughs> or via my site. <laughs> So yeah, so it's Nuno at NunoDaCosta.com. So you, or if you have any questions, feel free to, to get in touch and I'll do my best to answer those. So no agent at the moment? Not at the moment, yeah. I, I parted ways with my agency a few years ago, so I'm, I'm flying solo. But uh, I think that might change soon. I think, I think it might be time to, to sign up to an agent. Mm. For sure, for sure. I'm, I'm feeling I'm ready to... You know, I, I really feel like the next few years for not just for myself, but for a lot of people is going to be about kind of connections and uh, in terms of human connections, you know, and, and relationships with people and, and, mm. and people helping each other out. And, and I think maybe having the right agent and an agent um, who, who can share that journey with me, I think that's going to be really, really important in the coming years. So, I'm, yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm on the lookout for the right agent. <laughs> I just want to say a huge thank you to Nuno for being my guest. It was great talking to him and hearing his story. Remember to go and subscribe to my channel to hear and find out more about up and coming episodes and to also listen to previous episodes from series one and two. And there's also a special in-person YouTube episode on my YouTube channel, Neil Moody, about raising awareness for men's mental health with guests Tom Chapman and Rosie Tapner, if you fancy a watch. 